The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. At that time, Augustus Caesar sent an order to all people in the countries that were under Roman rule. The order said that they must list their names in a register. This was the first registration taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own towns to be registered. So Joseph left Nazareth, a town in Galilee. He went to the town of Bethlehem in Judea. This town was known as the town of David. Joseph went there because he was from the family of David. Joseph registered with Mary because she was engaged to marry him. Mary was now pregnant. While Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem, the time came for her to have the baby. So she gave birth to her first son. There were no rooms left in the inn, so she wrapped the baby with cloths and laid him in a box where animals are fed. That night, some shepherds were in the fields nearby, watching their sheep. An angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord was shining around them, and suddenly they became very frightened. The angel said to them, Don't be afraid, because I am bringing you some good news. It will be a joy to all the people. Today, your Saviour was born in David's town. He is Christ, the Lord. This is how you will know him. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a feeding box. Then a very large group of angels from heaven joined with the first angel. All the angels were praising God, saying, Give glory to God in heaven and on earth, let there be peace to the people who please God. Then the angels left the shepherds and went back to heaven. The shepherds said to each other, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. We will see this thing the Lord told us about. So the shepherds went quickly and found Mary and Joseph. And the shepherds saw the baby lying in a feeding box. They told what the angels had said about this child. Everyone was amazed when they heard what the shepherds said to them. Mary hid these things in her heart. She continued to think about them. Then the shepherds went back to their sheep, praising God and thanking him for everything they had seen and heard. It was just as the angel had told them. Well, welcome back and well sung. And if you're someone who's primary school age, you may well want to grab hold of this craft activity. This is something that we've sent round, and it's a great reminder of why Jesus Christ came as a saviour in a stable. Do you make use of that? But for the rest of us, we're going to come back to that part of the Bible, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And we're going to go over that again. It would be great if you could have a copy of the Bible there in front of you. Because the, the story about these two kings has a deeper meaning still. And we're going to take a deep dive into the text and see what they are. Just while the young people are doing their craft, I'd love to go back through it. It's the story of a saviour. But Luke paints a very vivid picture of this saviour who turns up in Bethlehem. We're going to break it down to three points. And the first thing to say is this. This Jesus Christ arrives as the centre of world history. He arrives as the centre of world history. 
Let me take you back to Caesar Augustus. He comes in verses one and two of, of Luke chapter two. And this is what it says. Let me read it. In those days, those are the days of John the Baptist. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a, a census or, or a tax register should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Luke begins his account of Jesus's birth story with this figure, Caesar Augustus. He was someone who began a life called Octavian. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar, already uh, someone with important connections. And uh, he had a stellar rise to power. By the time that he was 36, he took on this name Augustus which means the most honoured one or the one who should be worshipped. And someone wrote a, a letter to him on his birthday. And uh, let me read out that letter. It'll give you a flavour of the way that he was viewed. Providence has filled Augustus with divine power, it says, and has granted us a saviour who shall put everything in peaceful order. The birthday of our God signalled the beginning of the good news for the world because of him. You see, it's not just significant that these two kings are around at the same time, Jesus Christ, Caesar Augustus. It's not just that one was a king of power and one was a king of, of uh, poverty, but that God was using the first to set up the second. God, God was using someone who called himself a God and saviour to put into place someone who was genuinely God and saviour, according to the Bible. Caesar's plan is to clamp down on tax evasion. But God has already promised hundreds of years previously that his chosen ruler would be born in Bethlehem. So God is putting Caesar to work, getting his pieces in place, moving his ruler to Bethlehem for the real good news to begin. You see, history, as it turns out, revolves around Jesus Christ. And so that's the message. A saviour has arrived as the centre of world history. And the significance is this. You just can't ignore him. You know, there'll be um, lots of things in the paper over Christmas about politics. How's Joe Biden going to do as he walks into the White House? Are we really going to have an Australian-style Brexit? And there'll be... Um, Lots of things in the news about religious debate. Are we really a Christian country anymore? How do we relate to the Islamic world? And as well as that, we'll be facing all kinds of stresses and, and strains, all kinds of regrets and difficulties that have come to us this year, in particular relatives that we can't see and celebrations that we can't have, holidays that had to be abandoned. But what we find is that all of that history ultimately revolves around the baby in the manger. He was born as the centerpiece of world history. He stands over world history. And, and, and if we could grasp that, then every chance event that we faced would be a, a working out of God's purposes, however mysterious. We could look beyond everything to the true guiding hand of God. We we'd know that there's someone who's running the show. And that is good news of great joy, even in 2020.
a second implication that comes from Luke's account of Jesus's birth. Here it is. We've, we've, we've said that it looks like Jesus's royal roots have left him with nothing. But Luke says that Jesus genuinely arrives as divine royalty. He genuinely arrives as divine royalty. And that comes in verses four and five of chapter two. Have a look down at that if you've got a Bible handy. This is what it says. So Joseph also went up. So Bethlehem is higher than Nazareth from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. That's about almost 100 miles away, probably from here to the outskirts of Birmingham. Why did he go? Because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, it's a powerful thing, isn't it, to return to your roots. I mentioned that my grandfather was a cow farmer. And just a few weeks ago, I went back to his farm, Roundstone Farm, and I walked around the cow sheds and I imagined him milking the cows. I looked over to the farmhouse where my mum was born. It's a powerful thing to return to your roots. But, but Joseph is, is not just returning to personal history. Joseph is returning to royal history, royal history. Verse four, he talks about Bethlehem, the town of David. David, the sort of iconic king in the history of Israel, because Joseph belonged to the house and the line of David. Why is that significant? Well, however... Paul, the family, look, there was this ancient promise that someone, an individual, was going to emerge from David's dynasty. And there was this promise of a ruler who would come through God's chosen king, a, a royal bloodline that leads to one man. And it's true that uh, one day Prince Charles might be, what, a constitutional monarch? But this promised king has absolute sovereign authority. And, and however unlikely it looks, the saviour born into poverty is the very one who possesses divine royalty. And so the significance is this. You can't patronise him. You know, sometimes we like to think of Jesus as a, as, as a little rosy faced baby and we might, might put him out with the nativity set. We might look at him on the front of Christmas cards and then when the cold, hard reality of January sets in, we put everything away for the next 12 months. Why would we patronise Jesus like that? When, when submitting to him as a different kind of king would be such good news of great joy, even in 2020. Because this unlikely ruler in a manger has a third significance. You could, you could put it like this. This saviour has arrived in total humility. He's arrived in total humility. We said that Jesus was born into poverty, but his interest in the world feels like a disgrace. Uh, it was bad enough when, uh, when our son Justin was born. Uh, we had a two-bedroom house. We had no particular desire to move into a three-bedroom house, but we had two toilets, so we thought that um, Justin's Bedroom could be the downstairs toilet. So we squeezed a cot in there. We had to take the toilet roll holder off. We put a little curtain across the toilet and then that became his bedroom. That was humiliating enough. But the birth in Luke 2 and the discrepancy between Jesus's status 
and his birth is not just sweet, but it feels all wrong. You know, when you go to an Islington nativity play, it's all about Mary. She's dressed up in her warm dressing gown and, uh, and her mother's slippers, and she's sitting on a plastic chair in a warm school hall. But the birth in Luke 2 is so unhygienic, so lacking in painkillers, so lacking in basic medical care. There's a lack of a bed, a lack of a blood transfusion, a cot, or even basic dignity that it just feels like a disgrace. If a child of mine was born in those circumstances, I would cry. But the great scandal of the incarnation points forwards to the great scandal of the crucifixion. There's a, a direct pathway from the poverty of the stable to the disgrace of the cross. You know what I was saying about the wood? Well, when we first set up home, we had a large dining room table. I had great visions of enormous dinner parties. And I decided that I was going to buy 10 dining room chairs. So I set off in the car to Ikea uh, to buy those chairs. I, 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 was, uh, I was naive. And uh, I found myself making a cardinal mistake. I got five chairs finished in oak and five chairs finished in ash. Schoolboy error. But there's something about the story of Jesus's birth, which means that the wood of the manger and the wood of the cross match exactly. Jesus starts his life, you know, bound in linen, and then he ends his life placed in the grave, bound in strips of linen. His whole life was a process of taking onto himself the suffering that he didn't deserve so that we could be set free from the suffering that we did deserve, the suffering that will always come from, as a result of cutting ourselves off from God. You see, like a Christmas tree, we have cut ourselves off from our roots. And even though we dress ourselves up, we are slowly dying. And yet this Jesus comes into our world and suffers for our rejection and, and reconnects us with God, if that's something that we're interested in, so that we can have life. This saviour has come in total humility. And so the significance is this. Don't distance from him this Christmas. Don't distance from him. You know, if someone has come in history to rule globally, to reign eternally and to rescue humbly, then you would need a good reason to reject him, wouldn't you? There's a discussion group coming up in the new year. Nathan will give more details at the end, but it's a course called Christianity Explored. It's just a few Sunday mornings on Zoom. No question at all is out of bounds. And it's a chance to have a look at some of the source documents of Christianity. All it takes is an email in order to sign up. We won't put any words into your mouth. You don't have to say anything at all if you don't want to. But if some rational people have found Jesus to be the saviour in world history, the saviour with divine royalty and the saviour of total humility, isn't it worth a look? Because you can read a story about two very different kings at the start of Luke's gospel. But if the birth of Jesus isn't the best news that you've ever heard, if it's not good news of great joy, even in 2020, then perhaps you haven't yet understood what it can mean for you. 
I'm going to leave just a couple of minutes silence just to give you the chance to digest some of the things that we've talked about, and then I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible's claim that Jesus Christ, this man in history, came as the centerpiece of history. He came as divine royalty, and he came in total humility. Thank you that the wood of the, of the manger and the cross match exactly. And so, Father, I pray that we will find ourselves coming close to him this Christmas. And we pray in his name. Amen.